Hey, uh, take your Bibles if you wouldn't turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to continue there. A blessed Christmas to you and your family. You know, uh, Christmas is hard sometimes because the, not everything goes well. We've got some families that are really in some suffering and crisis. I would encourage you to pray for them during this season. Um, when we come this morning, we're talking about coming to the light. And uh, one of the great invitations of Scripture from the Lord Jesus' heart is to come. Let's pray before we do that, all right? Father, those songs do something that is um, incredible. You could just feel the shift in the room. And it went from a buzz to worship in an absolutely glorious way. And we, we thank you for thank you for the people who wrote those songs. Thank you for the inspiration that went into them. Thanks for musical gifts. Thanks for all that uh, you have given. But most of all, we thank you so much for you. We are reminded that our faith is not a blind leap in the dark, but that it is grounded on historical fact, that it is grounded on not just your birth, but also your resurrection. And when we come, we want to say thank you. We come into this Christmas season, Lord. We want to be uh, reflective. We want to be honoring we want to be um, reverent before you. And as we do that, as we walk through the message, the great invitation to come, we seek that you would bring life to it in ways that my voice or mine never could. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. So we've been looking at this passage from seven different angles. Remember we talked about it from the angel's perspective and then uh, we talked about it from the shepherd's perspective um, this morning, I'd like to look at it uh, from several perspectives of people uh, this morning. It says, after uh, Jesus was born, and I suppose I should click there and get up there, right? It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come. Now, if you're reading along there, and we all know this well enough, we all know the end of that phrase is come to worship. We're leaving that part out this morning. And we're going to use that part uh, on Tuesday night, Christmas Eve services. And um, we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. But um, this Sunday, the focus on the idea of coming towards him, or uh, maybe even a more helpful way is moving towards him. All right? What does it look like to move towards him, uh, to be focused uh, on that. So speaking of Christmas season, we come, we'd like to invite you again. You have three options. You can come at three in the afternoon, you can come at five, or you can come at seven. So whatever fits your family schedule the best, um, you can do it. Some families just want to do the three o'clock service and then have the evening to themselves as a family. Some families um, come to church and uh, then they do their evening together. Some people do their dinner and everything and then come to evening church together. So uh, whatever that fits in there will uh, accommodate you. It's a gorgeous service. If you like this morning, you'll love Tuesday night. I'd like to invite you back and encourage some friends to come. I want to start with this picture, all right? It's a little blurring, a little dizzy. It shouldn't be a surprise to you. Many of you have seen this. Probably some of you have been this this week, walking through a mall trying to get around the crowds of the people. Whenever you get into a packed arena like that, there's people coming and going, right? And, and some people are walking towards something, and some people are walking away from something. Some people are just confused and they sit, 
right? You see, usually they're guys and in the mall and uh, his wife has wore him out four, four stores ago and he's just sitting on a bench and he's got this dazed look uh, on his face. But the question this morning that I want us to consider in your own personal pilgrimage with God is which way would you say you're headed right now? Are you moving towards him? Or are you moving away from him? Or are you just overwhelmed by everything and sitting and going in neither direction? Right? We've probably all been at different places in our life like that. Maybe you find yourself doing a zigzag. Uh, sometimes moving towards him, sometimes moving away from him, and you can't figure out, right, it's just doing this thing. Or more in a human way, this thing, right? Right? Um, when we look at Christmas and the picture up there, the Magi said, we saw his star in the east and we've come. The central idea here is that when God gives you light, you head towards it. When you think about the Magi, they, it is a spectacular that story that's reduced to a cartoon. right? But you're talking about ancient astronomers who understood something spectacular had happened. They saw the sign in the stars and from anywhere from 14 to 1600 miles away, they were motivated to pursue that and go after it. And they knew that it was the sign of a king being born. Not just a king, but they had insight that it was the king that was being born. You say, where would astronomers, magi from the east, ever get that? Well, you have to remember if you go all the way back to the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, there was a certain royal official named Daniel who was held in high, high honor in that court and impacted many, many lives. And there were students and disciples of Daniel's that came down through the generations. And many speculate that these were uh, disciples of Daniel that were influenced by Daniel and had been watching for the things Daniel said would happen. And that's how they knew what to look for. Now, Satan would like you to think that... um, Moving towards the light is a bad thing. That if you get too close to God, you're going to lose your freedom. That if you get too close to God, you'll lose your options. If you get too close to God, uh, you're going to end up being a slave and he will get everything he wants and you will get nothing you want. Probably uh, best pictured in, in this clip right here. You ever feel like that? Satan wants to convince us that the light's beautiful but bad. All right? And God came to bring light to tell us, no, light is good. Light is good and that he is good. Always, if you think about it, the attacks are on God's character. What is he like as a person? Is he trustworthy? Can you trust him? And the resounding answer from Scripture is yes, you can. The resounding answer from the world is no, you can't. Keep your distance. Light is bad. It will kill you. But if you look at the Magi again, the exact opposite is true. Moving towards the light is life. And they moved and followed the light that they had. And the whole idea here is come. Right? The Magi 
came. Now, it cost them. Uh, that's no simple trip. If you think about fourteen to 1,600 miles on a camel, that's, that's a pretty intense adventure. Uh, bandits and weather and all kinds of things like that. But a number of people came. Uh, first of all, the shepherds came. Right, The angels came and talked to them and told them about what had happened. And they said, let's go and see this thing that we've been told. And they went and told, when they saw, they went out and told everybody um, what they had seen. Then the Magi came. And we know that they came probably anywhere uh, from 12 months to 18 months after and, uh, and showed up. A little different time frame than we normally put it because we put them right there at the same time. But they came uh, pursuing the sign in the heavens uh, that they saw. But there's others that also came. Simeon came. If you read the account in Luke there and just go a little bit farther down to verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, which is circumcision, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. Interesting that in the very beginning, Simeon already states that Jesus' ministry won't just be for the glory of Israel, but also be a light for the Gentiles. That should make us say thank you. Why? <laughs> We're the Gentiles. Okay, We trace our uh, legacy all the way back to the first three missionary journeys with Paul. Did you know that? That's an amazing thing if you think about that. Right. And so in this, Simeon came. So it says he was in the temple. He was a devout man. The Holy Spirit was on him. And it says the Spirit moved him. Now, what if he just sat there? Right? It wasn't a far distance. He didn't have, you know, the temple's a pretty big place. But it wasn't distance-wise anywhere close to what the Magi covered. What if the Spirit bumped him and he just went, eh, I'm kind of comfortable right here on my bench. I'm not going to go. No, the invitation for Simeon was to come. Come what? Come and see the fulfillment of the promise that the word, the word of the Lord gave you. What was the word the Lord had given him? The word was, I promise you, you will not die until you see the Christ. And so here's an old man hanging on. Uh, health, if somebody lived uh, into their 60s in those days, that was an incredibly enormous thing. Right? Most people lived into their mid-20s to mid-30s at latest. Uh, and so we, we have a different perspective on life uh, than what took place back then. But he had been promised by God that he would um, see the Christ. And the Spirit bumped him and said, Come and see what I promised you. And Simeon came. And he gave the, this prophecy. Not only did Simeon come, but Anna came. Anna was in the temple as well. If you go a little farther down, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. 
incredibly long life. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Anna could have been just kind of spiritual, right? You ever seen Christians that are so spiritual, they can't do anything because they're too busy being spiritual. And she could have been fasting and praying and not really done. But what does it say? It says when she saw Mary and Joseph, she came up to them. She too came. She had to see. And of course, that's not hard when it's a baby, right? When someone walks in church and owns the baby, what's the first thing everybody does? They come to the baby, right? Again, I just want to say how brilliant, brilliant, brilliant God and his sovereign plan is to come as a baby. Who would have thunk that? Who would have? Would you have done it that way? If you were, I wouldn't have. I would have come as the mass Bawana dude, right? But to come as a, there's nothing more attractive than a baby. And God knew that. And he wanted to leave a lasting, this is not a head impression. This is a heart impression. He wanted to leave an imprint on our heart of what type of person he was and that he was approachable and that when he came, we could come, that we could come by him. Take it farther in scripture, the children came. There was something about Jesus, even in his adult life, that just attracted children. Matter of fact, if you read a couple of texts, it says people were bringing the little children to Jesus, and you get the idea, it wasn't just one or two, there was a whole herd of them, and uh, <clears throat> that Jesus would just touch them. Would you just touch my son or my daughter, right? What mom or dad wouldn't want that? Hey, don't leave my son. Or... Here, touch my baby too, right? Touch my son, touch my daughter. Many of us pray that way. And it says, when the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. Why? We've got important adult things to do here. We've got ministry. We've got stuff that's got to get accomplished. We've got targets. We've got a mission. We've got a plan. Get the kids out of here. Kids should be seen and not heard. You're bugging the Savior. You're stopping the kingdom of God. Vamoose! Get out! Right? And watch Jesus' reaction to this. It says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, right? Indignant just doesn't mean he was bent a little bit. He let them have it, okay? Now, I would suspect that Jesus could let them have it with just a look, all right? Uh, My dad had a look that we called the death look, all right? World War II veteran, and those of you who grew up at that era, all he did was cock that eyebrow, and we knew that's done, Okay, my dad was a five foot ten pocket Hercules, and nobody but nobody took him on, and and we just went up. Oh! And I imagine Jesus had that look with grace. Okay, I don't know how it looked, but I'll bet you he silenced them with just one look, and they kind of went, oh, okay, sorry, mm-hmm. right? You can just see the disciples doing that because what were they missing? They were missing the heart side of it, right? Jesus was into people. Jesus wanted the children to come. He said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter in. And he took the children in his arms and he blessed them. This whole idea, Jesus brought them. They came to him and he took them in. 
And that's really, if you think about it, one of the great pictures of Scripture is that if we come to Him, He will take us in. The word there that we use is adoption. He adopts us in Himself. We are adopted in Christ. And that is such an ownership-type term because adoptions are always intentional. Adoptions always take great effort. Adoptions always take great money. Adoptions always take great time. Many of us in church right now are following the adventures of Peter and Krista and the adoption of their two sons from Africa. And let me tell you, that didn't happen in a day. They didn't just say, oh yeah, come on kids from Africa, just show up at our house, we have top ramen and you'll be happy. If you've watched, it's been an incredible journey of that. And that is really true for a lot of us, is that for a lot of us, our adoption in Christ has been an incredible journey. But it has been an adoption. And when we come to Jesus, He takes us in. That is the great promise of Christmas, is that God will take us in. You know, it's interesting when you go through Scripture. I just put a a, a quick thing together and thought, who was it that came to Jesus? Right in the stories, who was it? See if you can track some of these um, that came. Nicodemus came at night. The woman came to the well. Zacchaeus came down a tree. The leopard came and knelt. Peter said in the midst of the storm, Lord, if that's really you, let me come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. The demoniac came yelling loudly. The sinful woman came silent and with tears. The people came forward and were fed bread. The Syrophoenician woman came for crumbs. Mary and Martha would cry. And Jesus, well, Jesus, he came to die. There's an important principle located in this that I want us to think about this morning. Found in James chapter 4, it says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But then here's the important part. Come near to God. And he will come near to you. I often ask people, if you and God are far apart, who moved? Augustine quotes this. says, come Lord, stir us up. Call us back. Kindle, oh I'm sorry, I missed the first part of the quote. Augustine said, you are never far away from us. And yet we have difficulty in returning to you. Isn't that an interesting phrase? You are never far away from us, and yet we have difficulty in returning to you. Come, Lord, stir us up and call us back. Kindle and seize us. Be our fire and our sweetness. Let us love. Let us run. Right before these verses in James, there's uh, another universal principle found in Scripture that says, and we've talked about it often, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How do you have to come when you come? You have to come humble, right? Children don't come with errors. Children don't come, they just come, right? You ever see your kids run up to you? Uh, One of the funnest things out in the lobby is to see the kids in the church and I take a knee and they come up and run and hug me. It's just fabulous. Uh, They aren't thinking about who I am or church. I'm just their buddy Steve, usually because I give them candy during the week and they like me, all right? Catch a lot more flies with sugar than you do vinegar. And uh, that whole idea is come, be be approachable. And this idea here um, of God opposes the problem, gives grace some. You know, it's interesting who didn't come. There were lots of people with knowledge 
that knew the right thing but didn't ever come. The teachers of the law didn't come, although they could tell you the verses and scriptures of what it was supposed to play out and how it was supposed to happen. The Pharisees didn't come, although they were the keepers of the law and keepers of the nation uh, and the doorkeeper and the gatekeepers, so to speak. They heard about the birth. They didn't, they didn't come. The Sadducees, who were the ruling party, you would think that, hey, if a king was born in our kingdom, we ought to go check that out. They didn't come. They didn't look. Uh, king Herod didn't come. All right? For obvious reasons, why would he go see the threat of another king? All right? And many of us have known that battle because for us, Jesus hasn't been a, a warm invitation. He was a threat to our kingdom. And some of us fought and yelled and screamed till our kingdom went down in flames. And then we came to Jesus and said, well, I got nothing left, I guess. You can have what's left, right? And we know that battle. But just because the invitation is there doesn't mean we'll take it. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What is Jesus saying? We have to come as children. Daddy, I trust you. That's a hard thing in our culture, isn't it? That, you know, when I started ministry, that wasn't hard to say. It was a beautiful thing to say. and Most people understood it. It's a very hard thing to understand nowadays. Daddy, I trust you. But that's really what Jesus is saying is, trust me. So the invitation still stands. Come and follow me. Jesus said this during his ministry. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. The old word there was heavy laden. Right? Anybody relate to these verses? Pressure in life? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I believe, really, there's no more important time in the year than at Christmas time to remind ourselves of that. Take my yoke upon you, for I am humble and gent- or I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The invitation to come has always been highlighted by God through His Holy Spirit, right? That's, uh, Billy Graham used to capitalize off of that, and they used to sing, come, right? The buses will wait. Remember that famous phrase? You come, the buses will wait. It's important. Come now. Let God do business with God. He's got an invitation for you. You come down those aisles and walk. You know, and whether it's at a Billy Graham crusade or whether it's in a church setting like this or whether it's in a youth event like a, uh, the camps that are coming up or whether it's uh, camps in summer or all the different venues, whether it's sitting on a metro bus listening to something on the radio, the invitation has always been, come. He came to us and he wants us to come to him. Just like uh, many of you could relate to this, uh, probably in this last year, you probably got wedding invitations, right? right? I'm looking at some right here. You got wedding invitations, right? By the way, welcome back. And, uh, and, uh, and you went, oh, it's that weekend. And what did you have to do? You had to readjust your schedule because the invitation came. You ever notice the invitations don't come when it's convenient for your schedule? 
They don't call you up and say, hey, Steve, what do you got going nine months from now on this Sunday because we'd like to invite you and we want to know if your schedule's open because if not, we'll move our wedding. That doesn't happen, right? The invitation comes and said, we would like the honor of your presence on such and such a date. And then what do you got to do? Oh, we're so happy to be here, right? You have to adjust your schedule. And likewise, when we're talking about uh, this invitation, when God gives us an invitation, when the invitation from Him comes, we have to readjust our priorities. When an invitation to come, to know Him, the priorities of your life change. When an invitation comes to service, when God puts a call on your life and says, I want you to do this, you change your priorities. Uh, many of us are um, trying to adjust to the news that Hassan and Denise are going to take off for Japan. That's a wonderful Jesus thing, isn't it, dadgummit? That's great for the kingdom, great for them, bad for us. Okay? And we're going to have to deal with that because God didn't necessarily ask our opinion on that. Can you believe it? He just called them, gave them an invitation, and they responded. Dumbbells right? There's that side of it. Oh, it's fabulous. But notice the invitation adjusts. And likewise, we can't um, determine when God will invite us. We just have to be watching for the invitations and when they show up. And in this case, when we come to Christmas, God had decided that it was in the fullness of time. That when Jesus came, it was the moment in history from ages past, from the beginning, from the plan. Angels had been watching through the centuries, wondering and waiting, when would it happen? And God says, now, this day, it will come. And it did, and it rolled out. And we're talking about the miracle of Christmas. You know, the miracle of Christmas. God became a man. All God, all man. Like nothing we have ever encountered before in the history of the world. World has never gotten over it. World will never get over it. Most of us are still having a time trying to get our heads around it. God came on our turf. The miracle. He drew near to us. He came. The miracle of the incarnation. God becoming a man. Uh, In the velvet-covered brick, Howard Butt writes this, and he says, Because of the incarnation, you can never think of God as the great gray blob again. He says, Jesus of Nazareth was so blessedly specific. During the time of Augustus, a census was taken. Back in the time when uh, Herod was king of Judea. And Quirinius was the governor of Syria, right? Specific dates, specific times, specific places. Jesus was blessedly specific. He became one of us. I'm going to ask the gals to come up this morning. We've got a wonderful song we're going to close on. But if you thought about Christmas, really if you put Christmas in context, Christmas is God on our turf. Not us on God's turf, but God on our turf. He came and played by our rules. He came to be present. We call it Emmanuel, God with us.
The miracle of God caring enough that he would come. And as a result of him coming, he has extended an invitation for us to come. And this Christmas, as you're there, you may be in the spot where you are wrestling um, with where you are with Christ. Maybe you have never, ever said, you know what, Lord Jesus, I bow the knee to you. I quit. I give you my life. This would be a great Christmas to do that. Maybe you have done that, but you've been doing this routine, right? And all of us who are married, how well does that work in your marriage? Right? Not so good, right? Maybe this Christmas, when God says come, you drop that, right? Maybe some of us have just been sitting. We know what God has asked, but we haven't moved. We're just hoping that we didn't really hear that. And yet we've heard it. And maybe it's time to get up and move towards him metaphorically, in your spirit, stepping towards Him. It is an incredible miracle that God came on our turf in a form that we could know, in a form that we could understand, because He came as one of us, a person. And we'll look more at that on Tuesday night. Again, we'll invite you back.